So World War II, huh? Oh, uh, no, this is World War I. Huh. You have to be at least 80 years old to have known any of them. Huh. I've never even heard of the Battle of Piave. Battle of Piave was one of the most lethal battles in World War I. 170,000 people die. Is there anything you don't know? I know nothing, Oliver. Well, you seem to know more than anybody else around here. Well, if you only knew how little I know about the things that matter. What things that matter? You know what things. Why are you telling me this? Because I thought you should know. Because you thought I should know? Because I wanted you to know? Because I wanted you to know. Because I wanted you to know. Andrea. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I'm eating right now? No, I don't condone this start. If you must say a uh, fucking you peach, I swear the you know, I swear you know what I'm God. eating right Andrea, you know what I'm eating right now? <sighs> what are you eating right now? Uh, it's a, a very delectable peach. Oh I, God. Uh, I just right, got this peach and uh, it's really tasty. There's it's it's a little it's a little salty. <laughs> I've never been angrier with you than in this moment. <laughs> I had to do it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you got something else. No, no, it's fine. Keep it in. Keep, keep, keep this opening. It's okay. Ooh. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Novel Ideas of the Illiterati, where we really enjoy a nice, delectable peach every day. <laughs> but peaches and cream. Uh, yeah, definitely peaches and cream. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm not going to make it through the intro. <laughs> it's not like our usual ending of the episode. It's going to just be rough at the beginning and get it all out now. Woo, get the giggles. Um... Yeah, so welcome back, Novel Ideas of the Illiterati, uh, your number one source for peaches, <laughs> and and today, because we just enjoy a nice, delicious peach, today we're going to be talking about Call Me By Your Name, and what a story. It was, uh, this book came out in 2007, I unfortunately don't have the, my internet up right now, oh god, who was the guy that wrote it? Andre Asiman. Thank you. Asimon? Akimon. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, I, think it's... I don't know how to call him by his name. Oh, nice. Whoa. But you have to call him by your name. I wrote this book. <laughs> I, Andrea, am responsible for this book. No, if only. Um, and actually, this is mm -hmm. Andre's debut novel, which is hard to wrap my head around a novel this great being your first one. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. 
And then in 2017, it got turned into a film featuring Timothy Charlemagne and Army Hammer. It, uh, it's a great coming-of-age story dealing with uh, sexuality and specifically bisexuality and, you know, trying to figure out oneself. Andrea, you know the story better, so uh, if you want to talk on it, go ahead. Well, this story is told through Elio, a 17-year-old living with his family in a small town in Italy. His father's a professor, and every summer they host a student, I think specifically a medical student, who comes to stay, helps the father out with some research, and... This year it happens to be a young man named Oliver who is 24 in college. There is a very early attraction between the two. Well, at least, you know, from Elio's, from Elio, at least, because the whole thing is from his point of view. So as the summer progresses, they do get together and eat peaches. Oh, okay. Why don't I. <laughs> Shut up. Um, we'll talk about the peach when we talk about the peach. All right. So, yeah, they get together, and it's very bittersweet because, you know, Oliver has to leave. They have a beautiful thing, and they get to spend, at the end of Oliver's trip, a couple of nights in Rome, and then he leaves, and there's a very beautiful moment we'll also talk about between Elio and his father because his father always kind of suspected and yeah, in the book, they do meet up again in the future. The movie does not follow through that part of it. But yeah, it's it's a great cry if you're feeling like crying. Mm-hmm. Definitely will bring you tears. I really enjoyed the book. I really, it's my first time with both the book and the film. Um, never really got around to watching the film. And it's that nice to read the book before the film. Because there's so much going on in Elio's head, and it's it's written so fucking well, ah, oh, so poetic, and yeah, it, it really reminded me of the writing of Lolita, where it's just so poetic and dealing with uh, sexuality the entire time. But luckily, this time it's not from the perspective of a fucking creep. <laughs> um, so yes. it's like uh, actually, actually. Uh, 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 romantic feelings that are justified and um, it, was, it was actually nice having um, to, to, to read that. Yeah, uh, I, you, you, you mentioned in the summary that like, uh, you know, feelings were brought up pretty early and one of, one of the things in the book at least that is completely cut out from the film is that Elio helped choose Oliver to be yes. the, the resident. And there's, like, that whole, like, he basically chose Oliver because, like, he saw his picture and he was already infatuated with him. And basically he wanted, he hoped something would spark. So straight up from the beginning, before Oliver even really even appears, Elio has this infatuation with with this uh, 24-year-old. I think they're, I think it's, I, I don't know if they're medical students. They're just, I think it's just students that are going for their doctorate. Oh, but, right, right. Because I think Oliver, in the book at least, because they don't really say what he's doing in the movie and i think it's a bit of a shame i'm pretty sure he's like a philosopher student because there's a later on there's like that whole section with like his his godfather or whatever with like the poetry readings and i believe he's a philosopher student i could be wrong someone can fact check me on that but there is 
you, you it, which is sort of interesting to me, especially with how because everything isn't Elio's head and in the book, and then you don't really have all of these thoughts that are going on. The way it's almost portrayed in the film is I felt like Elio was the one that was more indifferent in the beginning. Whereas in the book, I felt in the book, it's the complete opposite. Like Elio is one wanting to basically be Oliver's translator and show him around and Mm -hmm. whatnot. But you don't really, I mean, you get a little bit of that. There's like that one moment where Elio is like, hey, I'll take you to this place in the beginning. But Really, he's very indifferent in the film um, towards Oliver. And maybe that's just because he's a 17-year-old infatuated with a guy five years older and... Or, I guess, more than five years. Um, um, my mask's off on that. Um, that uh, if it's 24, that's eight years older? Yeah. No, well, seven. God, God damn it. Well, here's the um, weird thing. He seems mm-hmm. indifferent because well we're getting a very stream of consciousness story in the in the novel and you're in his head knowing how much he's thinking about Oliver but in the mm-hmm. movie you know there's not voiceover so you don't get all of that you just kind of see him staying around the house he's staying home more frequently and his parents notice that and it's because he does want to be around Oliver you can't just kind of get that from the movie but what's weird is So, yeah, you don't get all of this kind of, you know, obsessive first infatuation, like first serious infatuation thoughts in the movie. But they also make Elio a lot more jealous in the movie, which was interesting. Yes. Yes. He's. Yeah, because like, well, I would almost argue he he is jealous in the book. He's just rationalizing his jealousy in his head. Like like when all when he sees that Oliver is off with these girls and Oliver is off with a lot more girls than he is in the movie. Like there's plenty of different girls and uh, Elio thinks that Oliver's sleeping with every single one of them, but really he doesn't know. It's just sort of I think that's like his jealousy coming in, um, and like he's just trying to keep himself indifferent and not care about it. And so I think there's the jealousy there in the book. It's I just, don't know because you know. like. He's watching Oliver and Kiara dance in the movie and is looking so sad to watch them dance. Or I know in the book he, especially if you look at, so Elio also has this thing going on with Marzia and he's Mm. keeping them very separate in his head where he says, you know, it was weird for me to be hooking up with Marzia and then to see Oliver later. These are very separate entities. And there is that moment. So right after they share the first kiss on Monet's berm, in the book, you know, he gets the nosebleed also at lunch. And Oliver says, I'll be back. And he said he didn't even mind that if he was off with someone, he just wished he honored his promise of coming back, especially after this big moment between the two of them and wondering what it's going to lead to. True. I guess that's fair. Um, can we talk about the nosebleed real quick? Yeah. Because uh, I want I I didn't know I couldn't I I'm I'm curious because there is a thing with nosebleeds within media, especially like at least um, anime. And as someone who studied animation, I know like way too much shit about anime. So I I, I so whenever I see I see a nosebleed in 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 media, and especially when it's coming to like a romance type of thing, nosebleeds at least when it comes to anime, and it's used in it's used in a certain cultures, other cultures as well, besides like Japanese, that nosebleeds represent a uh, 
basically an erection, that a character got an erection. And I didn't know if that's what was going for in that section or if it was just straight up a nosebleed. Was it just that? Because it was like right after, wasn't it, wasn't it like right after they kissed for the first time or something? Yeah. So I didn't know if that's what the writer was going for or not. Um, so I don't, I guess just sort of something that I just wanted to bring up because it is something in media and I didn't know if it was sort of that um, uh, allegory, I guess might be the right term for that. I don't Symbolism, a symbolism might be better. Yeah, I I feel like it was excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have conjectured because this book takes place in the height of like the AIDS epidemic that it's showing there's a symptom. Considering mm. we don't get any other symptoms, I I'm not I sure that's very so. sensible personally. But no, the excitement that... angle makes sense. Right. It's it's yeah. I don't see because I don't think they had sex yet. At least. I can't remember. I don't think they had sex yet when that happened. No. Uh, I thought it was just a kiss, so you can't get fucking AIDS from a kiss. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was just sort of something I just wanted to bring up because it is something within media. I don't know. It's kind of the first time I've seen it in a, in a live action setting, and I was like, or also in a book as well. And I was just like, I think this is what the author's intent was using this cultural symbolism, but um, I was unsure. I just wanted to talk about it for a second. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, one one weird thing, and I I, I, I find it a bit like I love, I I absolutely love the casting. I thought Timothy Charlemagne was great. I thought Army Hammer was great, but I do, I do feel like Army Hammer is a bit old for the role, and. Um. Not that it's wrong. It's because it's like, here's like a 31-year-old guy playing a 24-year-old, and like he looks like he's 31. And Army Hammer already has like you know he has a really big build, and it just to me it, 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 he, like he felt so much older than he was supposed to be. But I mean, it's a choice. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. Think people are always a bit older in Hollywood than the roles they're playing. I know Timothy was about the same age as right. Elio, but Timothy is, you know, obviously a talent that was discovered in time, um, mm-hmm. and he should he should definitely keep doing everything he's been doing because he's killing it. Hey, looking forward to Dune. Oh, okay. will we ever get Dune? We would like to cover Dune. If you guys, you know, have anyone you can yell at, call your state representatives and get Dune to come out already. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone, if you could just gather up all your spice together, maybe we can make this film actually happen. Uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> oh, Dune's coming out in October 1st. Um, anyways. <laughs> I know what we're doing in October. But, yeah, it... There's there's things like that that sort of bothered me. Also, the father was obviously an American actor. I know Timothy is as well, but I think he mm-hmm. he he can come off as like a European kid. Um, but the father is American. I don't think he is in the book, and because of like literally everyone's sort of like you know the mother at least in the book is calling uh, Oliver a cowboy, and the in the film they call him a movie star. Um, and 
it's a, it's a, it's a bit of an odd choice having an American as the father role. Timothy, like he has interesting features, and I think he can pull off the European look, and also he pulled off um, Italian as well. I don't know if he actually really speaks Italian, but you know, it sounded pretty good to me. I'm not an Italian expert, so it could be wrong. <laughs> But it is an interesting choice choosing the father as an American because I don't think he was an American in the book. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. he also kills it, though, and I'm okay with it. Oh, hey. yeah. Yeah. And also, Elio's mother is a stunning woman. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit... I don't know. So, okay, her... A lot of things about the movie... Like, I like when period pieces can date where they are, but it's not the main story. So you have a lot of modern media that I'm not saying it's bad, but what I love about this book and movie is it's showing you a time, but that's not the main priority. It's about the characters. So you're you can figure out contextually because of the cuts of the clothes, the music they're playing, when they're all the dancing. Cars, yeah. Yeah. You get the sense you're in the 80s, but it's not trying to bank on the nostalgia to make itself yeah. good. Yeah, you, there's too many times where like a film takes place in the past and it like starts off in the year 19 blah 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 and it's like you really don't have to do that. And then usually when films do that, like it then doesn't even look like that time period. But this yeah. film did a great job fitting that sort of like, you know, you know, uh Elio has the Walkman and whatnot and the, the little ham radio, hand radios <laughs> yeah. that they have. Yeah, it was great. All right, so let's talk about the peach. Let's do it. We're there. It's fine. So obviously, yeah, go ahead. No, no. Okay, wait. You This is your first time. I want to get your, your take first. So there was, we, we talked slightly at one, like earlier today, and I was like, there's a, there was some writing in the, in the book that I felt was a bit, um, online erotica ask and that was one of those sections where i was like it felt kind of it just felt odd to me like i get what the writer was going for you know peach is a very obvious symbol and you know it's the juices and whatnot and but it's really kind of biz- i i don't like and even in the film like it came off so weird to me like it's it's like kind of the only time in the book and the film that I felt kind of cringy and a bit, uh, if this happened in real life, this isn't how shit would have played out. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just a prude. I don't really know. Um, I've never, um, as, as, uh, as I'm about to tell everyone, I've never, uh, masturbated with a fruit. <laughs> um, it's just seemed odd to me. It seemed very, uh, like the whole thing is symbolic, I get that, and like especially since like the whole thing is written very poetically, that's mm-hmm. like what he was going for. But it comes off so unrealistic, and uh, especially when like so much of it felt very real. It's just like there's this weird section at just uh, I just don't I it just it just didn't feel right. Well, all right, my rebuttal. The reason I I defend the peach scene a lot. So yes, it. It is something that is a shocking scene. It might take you out of it, all of that. But where it differs from, and I honestly, I kind of take offense to online erotica because they're they're a nice community. I've oh no, I've been I'm not saying like, with them. 
<laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad community. I've read plenty of online erotica, and that's the reason why I was like, this feels weird, especially with how very, uh, what's the term that I'm going for? It's very, like, like it's written very high literature, like, throughout it, and then this scene sort of happened, and it felt off. But the scene me. itself, too, there are classical references in it. Like, it, it's it's a very graphic scene, but told through still somehow the most highbrow lens, and that's one of those things Andre does so well. And, all right, so but here's the main reason of why I am so glad it's in here, because you have all of these feelings on Elio's side, and you're having some inclination now, by this point, that Oliver's interested, but what this scene does is it takes it from more than it's a flirty, horny, young person romance to a deeper understanding of why this relationship is so rare and unique. So Elio from the get-go, he's not a very confident person, is very internally self-deprecating but doesn't say it much, and he's immediately so blown away by Oliver, especially with the star of David being worn on the outside of the clothes, because he has the same pendant. I know in the movie they make it seem like it was lost, but he always does wear it just under his clothes, and I like that line where, you know, He's explaining it to Oliver and says, my mother always said we were, um, oh my god, I'm blanking now, I just had it. Uh. Uh, no, I know what you're saying. I, 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 it, basically, she was like, it wasn't like hidden Jew, it was something. Jews of discretion. There we go. There we go, okay. yes. Right, so he's already seeing Oliver as some version of himself that's more confident and more okay with who he is. And... I also get the feeling, if he's had thoughts like this, you know, he talks about the the boy with the bike, and that being the first experience where this boy touched him on the shoulder and he realized he could be attracted to men, but he's never shared these feelings with anyone. And now, obviously, when the person that's the object of his attraction lives with him, it's, you know, to level 10. And so he's had this moment where he, yes, masturbates with a peach, But then Oliver comes in, and I think the movie kind of didn't do this scene quite right, because in the book, he literally holds Elio back until he eats the entire peach. And it's this in-your-face symbol of, I see you and accept you. And that's ultimately why Elio's so emotional in that moment, because he's never felt that seen or accepted, especially having hidden a part of himself for so long. I get that but i i don't know like it's just the way it's done just seems odd to me like i felt like i mean it's a it's it's the artist's choice whatever the artist i guess knows what's best for their story but how it came off to me was an odd way of showing that like there's other ways of doing it but it's I mean, it's, I, I get exactly what you're saying, and I get why it's done. It's just still, it comes off. Up, uh, I, I, like, I don't see that happening in real life like that. Like, especially with, like, like I said, like the, the rest of the book felt very real. That just sort of, like, it took me out really hard. Like, I don't know. I mean, it just didn't, it just didn't match to me for some reason. Yeah, but at the same time, I think a lot of people have certain horny thoughts that they 
would be completely appalled to say out loud or even have done some interesting things while masturbating. I mean, people go to the ER with random objects inside of them <laughs> all the damn time, Michael. People do some weird things we don't know what everyone True. gets up to. And True. I think in the case especially of a 17-year-old boy, weirder stuff has been done. If you guys know about the infamous coconut thread on Reddit, it, it, I definitely see the realism of the scene. But also, like, because you have these peaches that are grown on the property there's this interesting reconciliation of its acceptance of between him and this man who are in a taboo especially at the time relationship but also ties him back to where he's always lived like there's this sort of intersection of all these elements of elio's life Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm fine with it but but were these peaches used for sploosh Oh my goodness. <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did it. <laughs> we brought it back to holes. <laughs> yeah, we missed the scenes where. Uh, Literally Kate... holes. <laughs> yeah, where Kiss and Kate Barlow came up to the family and bought some peaches off the land. We, we, it was all off camera, guys. Uh, wait, one more interesting note about the scene, though. So, at first, they weren't sure they were going to do the scene because, while, again, it's, it's an important, notable scene in the book, it, it it's a very awkward scene to do in person, I imagine. And also, uh, both Timothy and Lucas... I'm going to slaughter the last name. Gal Gadana? Luca. 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 Yeah. Gaudagi, Gaudagi, I, I won't say it. All right, it's, it's, uh, it's Luca G., all right, they weren't sure this was possible, so they both took a peach home and actually masturbated into a peach, and they're like, oh, shit, this is doable. So I just love the fact that they did this homework assignment. I mean, if anyone's seen the grapefruit lady online, I mean, master- masturbating with peaches is possible. You know about the grapefruit lady, right? Do I? I don't know. She's the, it's like basically, uh, you know, apparently the best way to give a man a blowjob is to cut a hole through a through a <laughs> through a grapefruit, and then use that as your as your as you're going down on him. Oh my god! Look, it sounds like it sounds like Cosmopolitan. I'll never forget when I was my first interaction with Cosmopolitan. I was like twelve, and you know, magazines would just send you free trials to hook you, and I'm sitting mm. there in our house flicking through it and they're talking about sorry guys we're about to get a little graphic here we're already talking about someone masturbating into a peach i don't know what the fuck you expected from us but yeah they're saying like here's how you give your man a mind-blowing orgasm you need to put ice on his balls and whiskey in your mouth it's this like hot and cold Uh. thing at the same time no Uh. man i've ever said that passage aloud to has thought that sounded good oh that sounds like it would burn no (laughs) why why is everyone trying so hard i don't Goodness, there's better ways to, to bring a man to an orgasm. <laughs> Ugh. All right, oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the endings, because that is a very notable divergence. I think I've said the word notable a lot of times, but you said the word peach way more times, so we're okay. Notable peach. <laughs> I'm going to start name. a peach company. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I like both endings. 
I'm going to say that. That's fair. I like, hate most epilogues that feel the need to be like into the future. I don't mind it in this one because like everything else in this book is well written. And if nothing else, it really just drives that knife in deeper of is like, oh, you thought it was heartbreak for a summer, and they're young. No, 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 this still hurts. This shit still hurts 20 years later. Enjoy. Yeah, so for for those that don't know, in the book, basically, Elio goes and visits Oliver in the United States. Oliver's married and has kids, and Elio doesn't want to ever meet uh, Oliver's family because he still has deep-rooted feelings for Oliver. So, and then the movie... Yeah, go ahead. And then five years later after that, you know, Elio's father passes and Oliver comes back to visit. And yeah, there, there's also that meeting. And I mean, I want to get into more details of those, but yeah. You, um, and then the movie, obviously, it's just the phone call from Oliver, which does happen in the book. Um, I think a couple of phone calls. And then you have poor, poor Elio looking into a fireplace and crying. For the entire, you know, basically end credits. God damn that! I and if you're not I'm crying not... too, you you are a stronger person than me. <laughs> yeah, and I will agree with you. I like both of them, but for the visual media, I under I like the way they did it. And the I author like... agrees. The author I loved like... it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a smart choice not to do an epilogue. You don't want some weird Harry Potter bullshit where it's like, here's everyone 15 years later, your kids are going to Hogwarts type shit. With some weird CG. Right. And like, cause either you basically like, they always try to like do weird makeup and it looks like, a, like aging makeup looks young on, on a young person. Like, like Timothy's age. I think he was what? 19, 21, 21. So it's it it looks it looks weird, and then you have to have the have him try to act older than he's ever actually lived, and it comes always comes off really awkward. And I I like I like the choice of just having the phone call. Uh, Oliver's getting engaged, and it's uh it's it's very heartbreaking. And, and Timothy did a did a really great job, especially because like it's just like a really long take. And I love it. it. Long takes, I fucking, God, I love uh, films that use long takes. It just makes things a little bit more powerful emotionally. Yeah. And the movie, you also have the added benefit of hearing one of three Sufjan Stevens songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the way, this movie is the first time he has actually written music for a film, which is great. He did two songs, um, and they're amazing, like everything Sufjan does, pretty much. Yeah, and then I think one is actually from one of his albums, um, if I remember correctly. I think I think that was in Age of Odds, if I remember correctly. Yes. Oh, that's the song that starts off Age of Odds, because I used to listen to that album so much when it came out. Well, and how beautiful. It's one of those things where when there's art I really adore, I get so excited when mutual artists that you wouldn't necessarily expect to work together i mean you know it's a it's a an author a director and then a musician but they both i mean they all find each other and that's so nice because sufjan to me has always been the pinnacle of heartbreaking music and this is one of the most heartbreaking books so to me it just fits perfectly 
it, it also worked really well for the classical piano throughout it. Yes. There's just something about Sufjan style that has a bit of a classical sound. I like not exactly classical, but like I, I don't know exactly what it is. Probably because like he doesn't use a lot of like uh, strumming. It's just sort of it's a lot of picking, and it just sounds really kind of old school, and I love it. Um, I love Sufjan a lot. Yeah. But it was a uh, yeah. I compl- I'm completely with you. The music throughout this entire film was wonderful and there's other choices that i really like like when they're out in the city and downtown and they're talking and like the uh the cars are going by and like they have to speak up while they're sitting i'm like you don't see that enough in film where two people are having a conversation and the environment is affecting the way they have to talk and it just added to the realism and i i thought it was smart to do that and it it worked so well and when they're walking around the fountain oliver's voice is actually quieter as he's moving further from elio and then elio's actually realistically saying things oliver wouldn't be able to hear that are just for you the viewer i love that that was great yes god that's such that's that's it's like the way I'm assuming Luca is Italian, and so there's sometimes like it's it's I love European directors and their way of doing realism. You you, you don't get a lot of that in the in the state. But there was oh shit, there was one other thing. I had something. Oh um, so when they go to Rome, like in the book, there's 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 a lot of things that are left out, and I, I it's kind of a I think it's a bit of a shame. Like I really loved the whole poetry session oh my gosh yes it's so good because it's like also you have the reading of that guy uh i forget what his name is um and i guess he's like oliver's godfather or something i don't know if he just said that or if it was like he actually is his godfather and he's reading off this poem that that was mentioned to him and then like also dealing like with his own sexuality and stuff like that and so you have this older you have this tie-in with this young generation of Elio and Oliver, and then you have this older man who, at, at a certain time, was dealing with his own sexuality. And uh, I thought it was—I thought it was great. And it's a—I think it's—I think it's a real shame it's left out of the movie. Like it's—it's one—it was honestly one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, just this poetry reading that was going on. So okay, and I'm glad you bring that up because there are a lot of references to others' sexuality that I think are showing Elio trying to figure out where his own is fitting in. I mean, you have the the gay couple coming from Chicago, and mm-hmm. he thinks they're ridiculous. Um, of course, at the time, he's still kind of grappling with the feelings for Oliver. And what's funny, the author, Andre Ak- Ak- Ackerman, Asiman, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know. I've never heard the name said aloud. Is one of the two. So he's he's actually acting in the movie as one of the oh, couple. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but so he, well, at least to his father, he's saying they're ridiculous, right? And you yeah. have this author, and I love, I too love the whole bit with hanging out with the author and then the family and the other fans going to the restaurant together. And I've just, it shows how much this book was written by an art lover for other art lovers, especially not just the references throughout and like 
how beautiful was like all of them hanging out and how what a great night it was for Elio to be among other cultured people and mm-hmm. and not like his family isn't but you know he hasn't it doesn't seem like he's gone to a lot of events like this of a reading and you know they have these philosophical discussions basically how people like me thought college was going to be uh, <laughs> until I got there but you should have come to art school clearly um but yeah, I, I, I am kind of sad we missed out on that. What I don't think... The movie already was two hours and 13 minutes long. And I'm glad they kind of spent the time between these two characters more than that. Also, they don't go to Rome in the movie, but that's okay. Because, again, the setting is a very background thing. You know, you're not... This is one of those movies where it's like, oh, it's in Italy. We're going to show you all these tourist attractions. You know, like all these movies doing these montages of, oh, we're going to Paris. And you get this aerial shot of Paris and the Eiffel Tower. This isn't what this movie's about. Did they, I thought they did go to Rome. Not in because, the movie. Because they go to because, see, like, this waterfall. They seem to be in a more remote... No, because remember... Um, so this is it's, you just reminded me this was another thing that I thought was a little bit different and different and differentiated from the book was in the book uh, Oliver's like hey I'm going having to go to Rome blah 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 um, and then Elio is like can I come with you blah blah and um, then his mom asks Elio oh where are you guys staying and they sort of make up a hotel because they're sort of figuring it out as they go and then Oliver's dad is the one that proposes to get them a hotel and, and book them. There's this really, and it's, it's the other awkward scene that I felt. It, 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 it was basically just exposition. It was just straight up exposition. It was Elio's mom and dad just sitting on the benches, just talking with their sunglasses on, being like, oh, Oliver, Oliver's leaving soon, and he's going to Rome, and I think it would be a good idea for Elio to go with him. And or, or or maybe it wasn't Rome that they said, but they were. He was saying that they were. He was going somewhere. Basically they went to. to so I looked it up to make sure it's Bergamo, not Rome. Okay. So yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, they were going somewhere, but it was just a. It was just weird exposition, like just this one little scene that I was like, why didn't they just play it? How them does it? I think it's a. It really works for like the romance angle of 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 Elio and Oliver and. I think also really works with uh, what happens with the father at the end. And I think basically the father picked up on it. And that's the reason why he paid for the hotel and stuff. Hmm. Well, and all right. So, oh, man, the the father is a great character in both. And yep. all right. So let's get. Oh, gosh, let's get into it. So, OK, uh, that's another yep. weird thing in the movie because they chose to have Elio call his mother to pick him up and he's crying in the car. Look, maybe you're you know your son's an an emotional person and you're like ah he's sad about his friend i think it makes less sense for him to ask his dad in the movie do you think mom knows when i think she would figure it out contextually because he's very distraught about oliver leaving yes but either way so his father beautiful i mean absolutely that whole speech is fantastic i'm so glad they kept at least most of it in the movie and didn't change it um, because this is this completely unasked for acceptance, but that Elio still deserves to have from a 
parent figure. And then that was one of those things, too. I feel like so much of this movie and book, they're, they're a bit dreamy. And, yes, plot events happen, but they kind of happen, and then Elio has all of these thoughts and feelings behind them. So most of the time, you're kind of just in the daydreams he has. Um, right. And But you have this kind of drawing moment. He's on the phone with Oliver, and Oliver says, you're lucky my father would have sent me to a correctional facility. And that mm-hmm. it, it's great because it's one of those things that like immediately kind of also jars you because you're like, oh, yeah, we're, think- we're dealing with stuff in real time. We haven't been too concerned with outside society that much. Um, right. And it also, I think, shows a bit, especially during that time period, the difference of thinking in different countries uh, where in America you have that more conservative... Uh, and conservativeness when it comes to sexuality and and at that time Europe had it less uh, Europe's not perfect but it did it was a bit more accepting than the United States especially during that time period yeah um, and you know and it's it's beautiful not only not only do you have this speech kind of of a father accepting his son's sexuality but you have this I think very important advice of not diminishing your feelings after a heartbreaking incident. Um, yeah, I love that. And like, it's a moment of a parent getting very real with their child where he admits he hasn't had that. And of course, every, I think every young person thinks of their parents as very in love. And obviously it's a good relationship that his parents have, but it's not, were, you know, being told it's not to the passionate extreme that Elio and Oliver had. And it's a very rare thing for a parent to say something like that to their child, but I think is a sign of good parenting. Yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was great. It was something that uh, I think most people would like to hear from their parents. Like, uh, it's, it's just, when it's like the whole acceptance of the whole thing, and then to... Basically, he's like saying, like it. It was like you know, the, there's there's this, in a in a better way besides like you know saying the same old idioms that everyone says it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. He 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 says it in a, a much better way. There's also the the realness of what the fathers dealt with his entire life. Um, I couldn't tell like like he, I I I guess like, you know. In a way, I felt like it was like that the father also didn't ever have his period of like experimenting and trying to figure out what he really enjoyed. But it was it was great to see, and and especially in a in in, in some sort of media, it was it's something that I don't think happens enough in real life. Is parents saying that usually like when you break up with someone or someone or someone loses someone, they they're like, oh, you'll you'll find someone else but like the, the fact that he was saying to feel your emotions and to um, not hide away from that I think is very powerful because I think hiding from your emotions makes things worse and can it really affect your future relationships and stuff if you don't actually uh, dwell in your emotions yeah very true and oh so there's another kind of point I wanted to touch upon, okay, I was getting there and lost my way earlier talking about the couple from Chicago and then the author who's reading they go to who also talks about a sexual experience um, Mm -hmm. in Thailand. 
So Elio's kind of seeing other people whose sexuality is not, you know, heterosexual. Right. <laughs> and But he doesn't know where to place them. And you have the moments right after they do first have sex where there's a lot of guilt and shame in Elio. And he's not really saying anything to Oliver, but... To me, especially because of some of the passages that follow it, there seems to be some of this internalized... What I'm, I'm blanking again. Jesus Christ, Michael. <laughs> you're good, you're good. You got this. You got this. I believe in you. It's better to have had these thoughts than to never have had these thoughts. Internalized homophobia. That's what's happening. Okay. And there's like this very specific passage where he talks about going biking the next day with Marzia and sitting down and it hurting and being reduced to a schoolboy joke is what he says. And that's why I think the progression of there's certain events that have to happen in order for Elio to be made aware that it's okay. And it starts with the peach scene. It goes to meeting this author and all these people being very accepting of the author's experiences and then his father at the end being like, yeah, I fucking knew. You live in my house. And, but it's okay. I, it's not a problem. Um, and that's why I think that's the I think the really big coming of age portion is not even the fact that there is this beautiful relationship with someone else, although that is part of growing up too is your first love, but just over time accepting himself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's something that also like you know a lot of people aren't able to accept themselves at such a young age, so it's kind of nice. Because I mean, like even I, I I get the I get I got the vibe that Oliver like. You know, he uh, he hadn't fully accepted himself until maybe then. So, and still might be struggling with stuff. I don't know. There's a second book. Who knows? So. Yeah, I've heard not great things about the second book, which is one of those things where, like, I would love to experience more of this story. But I also don't want it to ruin the story. I want to sit with this story a bit longer as it is. Right. And it's also, it's, it's odd to me that there is a sequel with how much of an epilogue there is to this book. It's kind of like the book already has its sequel through the epilogue. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not the author. I don't, like, he came up with something for it. But it is an odd choice to have such a large epilogue and then write a sequel. But I don't know. People can do what they want. Yeah. All right. So passages. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. are here... And you don't know this novel. That's okay. But I'm going to now convince you to read it. And there's some moments you don't get in the film that, again, I understand why not. I'm just sad they're not there because I love them so much. Um, and for all my illiterate friends. But, alright, so they're in the bookstore. And Elio's getting Oliver a book. And there's this little paragraph here. Um, the bookseller had ordered two copies of Steindahl's Armands, one a paperback edition and the other an expensive hardbound. An impulse made me say I'd take both and put them on my father's bill. I then asked his assistant for a pen, opened up the hardbound edition and wrote, Somewhere, oh, for you in silence, somewhere in Italy in the mid-80s. 
In years to come, if the book was still in his possession, I wanted him to ache. Better yet, I wanted someone to look through his books one day, open up this tiny volume of Armand's, and ask who was in silence somewhere in Italy in the mid-80s. And then I'd want him to feel something as darting as sorrow and fiercer than regret, maybe even pity for me, because in the bookstore that morning, I'd have taken pity too if pity was all he had to give. If pity could have made him put an arm around me, and underneath this surge of pity and regret, hovering like a vague, erotic undercurrent that was years in the making, I wanted him to remember the morning on Monet's berm, when I'd kissed him, not the first but the second time, and given him my spit in his mouth because I so desperately wanted his in mine. I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that's a good passage. It's a great passage. Read this damn book, guys. And all right, so next week, we're doing next an education. Week. What? I already got an education. Well, you're going to get another. And this one's not going to cost you a lot of student loans. What? I don't believe you. Are we going to Europe or something? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you should definitely watch slash read that. Uh, yeah, written by Lynn Barber. This will be cool because I haven't, I haven't read this either or watched it. So, um, but I am looking forward to seeing some good old Carrie Mulligan because... One of a uh, one of one of the crushes I had at a at a one of my young cr- celebrity crushes. Yeah, and also insists on being an adaptation movie, so we'll see a lot more of Carrie Mulligan, I'm sure. But yeah, like Great Gatsby and Far from the Maddening Crowd. And Never Let Me Go. Oh my God, Never Let Me Go, dude! What the hell? I think I think Carrie she knew our podcast would happen. Was like, I'm gonna help these kids along. You have a Carrie Mulligan month. <laughs> Actually, though, yes. Oh, uh, I'm for it. The, oh, hi, Violet. You I guys mean, she was in Pride. I mean, she was what in Pride and Prejudice as well. True. All right, just go ahead and call it what you want to call it, which is the Carrie Mulligan Appreciation Club. So she'll notice you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm fine with that. Even though she's married to uh, the lead singer of Mumford and Sons. So, gotta gotta start a folk band. Any, I'm I'm looking for uh, some musicians. We're oh my start god, a folk is that why band. you play banjo, dude? You're so transparent. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yep. I'm also gonna, I'm glad to see sweet... uh, you've moved on from Harry Potter. Actresses. Yeah, you know things didn't th- things didn't work out. Uh, I didn't want to like it's it, it was a hard couple months. I didn't really want to talk about it, but things just didn't work out. And like you know, I want to blame it on the whole pandemic and Boris and whatnot, but it's just it just it just didn't work out between us. It's all right. Well, Michael, it is better to have loved and lost. <laughs> I want I want the goddamn telling from my father. <laughs> I want a nice deep talk about embracing my emotions <laughs> uh, well, yeah. cool but so with an education we'll be rounding out coming of age month oh god don't ask me what the theme is next month i'll tell you next week again i'm not by my planner i can't just be expected to have my planner on me all the damn time yeah you do you <laughs> cool <laughs> okay as always write us an email if you want it's literaticonfirmed at gmail.com. Tell us how you felt about the peach scene. I want a whole essay. I want to hear your your thoughts. I just realized what you need to draw for the social media post. <laughs> go go ahead, tell me. You know, just a nice a nice peach. 
a nice, uh, a nice scrumptious peach. Yeah, with cum coming out of it, right? Like that. That's oh, what I you're... didn't say that. <laughs> I said a nice peach. I didn't say a dirty, sexy peach. <laughs> we don't like no loose peaches around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, no. I was at the store, so I am in Georgia, the the, the peach state, and. There were peaches at Publix the other day, and I wanted to get some because of this book. Right. Maybe even just photograph the book with some peaches. These were some unripe peaches. These were no grown in Italy somewhere in the mid-80s peaches. These were shitty ones, and I didn't. I, I wouldn't do that. I'm sorry. I demand a good peach, damn it. I was expecting you to bring one home and be like, Hey, Rod, I have something for you to try. Wow. He can't listen to this episode now. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, yeah, as always, we make these endings forever. But yeah, read along, watch along, an education, Lynn Barber. Uh, and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Nature has cunning ways of finding our weakest spot. Just remember I'm here. Right now you may not want to feel anything. Maybe you never wanted to feel anything. And uh, maybe it's not to me you'll want to speak about these things, but uh, feel something you obviously did. Look, you had a beautiful friendship. Maybe more than a friendship. And I envy you. In my place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but... I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste.